Welcome to uh, ICMDA webinar on the life cycle of a Christian doctor. Um, our presenter today is Dr. Shari Fockenheimer, Sharon officially, but known as Shari Fockenheimer. Shari is a MD, MPH, and MA and PhD, uh, and board certified in aerospace medicine. She has over 40 years of experience in a variety of roles, including teaching, applied research, uh, clinical medicine, medical leadership, and planning. She mentors the Albany Medical College CMDA group and taught in 30 nations. Uh, Dr. Fagenhammer uh, is an international advisory board member of the Christian Journal of Global Health and a member of the American Academy of Biotics and life member of CMDA. She will be talking to us about the life cycle of a Christian doctor. Uh, she will take us through the long process of becoming and practicing as a doctor and the several stages we go through, uh, from training to practice and retirement. And look at the different, we'll look at the different stages of that journey and look at the spiritual uh, journeys, the need for uh, various needs in that journey and uh, the, both the medical and the spiritual aspects it, which applies to each stage of that journey. So welcome once again and over to you Shari for sharing your thoughts. Thank you Santosh. It's good to be with you. Let me share my slides. Uh, I wanted to talk to you today about a theme that I think is a very important one. As we progress through our training and practice it's important that we grow spiritually just as we grow medically and uh, that we develop maturity and competence in both areas. We need to be competent both professionally and spiritually if we're going to glorify God and um, have our earthly lives uh, show his uh, glory and uh, reveal to others that we follow him. And we need to be able to complete the works he's prepared for us. To grow spiritually, we need to learn to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, who's known as the great physician, and uh, as we become healthcare professionals, be more like him. I'm trying to get my slide to go. There we go. Um, these are the stages I'll talk about. I think you're all familiar with them. Uh, some of you might be at the beginning of your training. Others are like me in the later years of training, later years of uh, life and uh, each each area is a time God can use us in many ways. And I like to refer to these uh, as formation, our foundation in the student years where we're uh, developing our basic knowledge of healthcare, as well as being sure we have a good foundation spiritually to help us through our career. Formation, when we really transition from being a, a civilian layperson to a healthcare professional, and we're formed into whatever specialty we're going to learn. Uh, we are fully trained in our practice years, and then there comes a time for finishing at the end of our lives. Let's begin with this important scripture, which is the parable of the wise and foolish builders at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. At the end of a sermon, of course, Jesus is giving a summary and uh, the sermon had its purpose to tell us as believers how to live as Jesus followers. And this is what it said. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. What was the difference between the wise and foolish builders? The difference between endurance and failure lay in what kind of foundation they had established. The one who built on rock was able to withstand whatever pressures came and the forces that came against their house, but the one who built on sand lost everything. A similar theme is found in the Old Testament. It describes building the temple of the Lord. We learn that the temple was made of high-grade stone and uh, it provided the foundation. If you've been to the Welling Wall in Jerusalem, 
You've already seen some of these stones. Over 2,000 years later, they're still standing, a strong foundation. And that's the kind of foundation God wants us to have in our spiritual lives. The Lord Jesus is talking to us about building our spiritual lives on the rock as well. The New Testament tells us that we're temples. We're the temples of the Holy Spirit once we come to follow Jesus. And so like the temple we see in the Old Testament, uh, we want to have a strong foundation to serve God and help us persevere and stand through the storms of our lives. So what we want to consider here is how to have a strong foundation. How do we build it? As with the building, the foundation should be built at the beginning or as early as possible in our lives and careers. Some of you, if you grew up in a Christian home or attended Sunday school or were part of a college Christian group, you may already have a good foundation. But if you haven't, it's never too late to build it, even if you're beyond the early training years. It's critical to our lives and to glorifying God. When you entered professional school, you began to learn about the knowledge of uh, healthcare skills you need, and as you continued training, how to treat and cure these conditions and to help patients stay healthy. This is the foundation for your professional career. But laying a foundation is not an easy task. In, lay in building the temple, the stones were heavy. They needed to be joined together and connected into a structure that could withstand great pressure of whatever came on top of them. Building your foundation in healthcare can be like this. I don't know what it was like for you when you started professional training, but it was a very stressful time for me. I was thankful to be in medical school, but I found myself in a totally new and demanding environment. I was surrounded by others who had done extremely well in, in school and many were smarter than I was. I was intimidated by the fact that many were children of physicians where I was the only one in my family who had even gone to college. When I entered professional training, it was not only extremely challenging, but it made me question my qualifications to be there. Even during orientation in medical school, I felt a lot of stress and we hadn't even started classes yet. Then there was gross anatomy, the complexity of the human body, both uh, awed and challenged me. I studied hard, but it just seemed like too much to learn. Then came my first history and physical examination on a real patient. It started off well enough, but when I got to the physical examination, I couldn't remember how to tap uh, the deep tendon reflexes. Not wanting to lose face or appear I didn't know, I just tapped the reflex hammer in the general area I thought was the place to elicit the reflexes. The patient never knew, or as far as I know, uh, didn't know that I was having difficulty. Of course, this experience led me to find out how to correctly elicit deep tendon reflexes, but it also made me aware of how easy it could be to make it look good while not being really competent in what I was doing. It was a warning about the need to lay a foundation of integrity and competence, not only to be a good doctor, but for my work to glorify God. In my senior year, I had the opportunity to work in a mission hospital in a, Christian, in a Muslim country. This is another challenging time in trying to set a foundation as a medical professional. The two male doctors there were quite limited in what examinations they could do on women due to the local culture. But as I had flown over on the plane, I was praying that I wouldn't be a burden to the missionaries, but could be helpful. And because I was a woman, that allowed me to examine the women in much more detail and report to them and get help in knowing how to treat them. There was always backup from a medical missionary doctor needed, but it was a challenging environment for me with my limited experience and technical skills as a medical student. How did I get through these times? Fortunately, I'd built a strong foundation, not only medically, but spiritually. I'd attended Sunday worship since childhood, began attending Sunday school and participating in small weekly Bible studies. These things helped give me a foundation in the Holy Scripture, in fellowship, and the joy of praising God and joining with others uh, in church and in sharing the Holy Communion. I'd also been taught to have a time of daily devotions, reading scripture and praying. 
When I went, when I entered medical school, I was glad to find there was a Christian medical group on campus and I started attending their activities. I also began to learn the joy of giving. In college, I earned about $16 a week working in the lab. And I was able with that to sponsor a child through a Christian organization and also give to my church. It isn't how much you can give. Remember the poor widow who only gave a penny. But giving uh, is always something we should be a part of in our lives. These habits were the foundation not only for my Christian life, but the foundation that got me through medical school and the later challenges I've had throughout my career. To really be Jesus followers, we must follow him. We must obey. As we grow in our knowledge of what God expects of us and of those who follow them, we must ask the Holy Spirit to help us eliminate ungodly habits and obey him. I'd like to call these daily practices and weekly practices the non-negotiables in my life. Each of us must think about our priorities and decide as early as possible what we will make our non-negotiables. What will we do regardless of time pressure? What disciplines will we commit to and set as a foundation on which to stand in difficult times? Disciplines which keep us on track and help us to continue to grow over the years and which have ultimate value beyond our earthly time. Do you have any non-negotiables? Have you given yourself to Jesus? That's the primary foundation we need to set in our lives. If you don't yet have a personal relationship with Jesus, it's never too late. If you're a churchgoer who feels something's missing in your, in your life and relationships, or if you're a seeker who doesn't follow Jesus yet, uh, but you're considering it, you don't have to stay that way. You can examine yourself now and see if you're already in the faith. And if not, you can come to faith right now. Jesus invites each of us to accept his love and have all our sins forgiven if we're willing to believe that Jesus died in our place to pay the penalty a just God required for our sins and to be forgiven and that Jesus rose from the dead. So if you don't know Jesus personally yet, just open your heart and invite him to be your God, your savior and your Lord. If you do, all your sins in this life will be forgiven and God's Holy Spirit will come into you and guide you forward in maturity. Jesus promised he'll never leave or forsake those who believe in and follow him. Some of us who are already Jesus followers need to examine ourselves with respect to our attitudes toward Christians of other denominations and people who are not yet believers. One day I sat next to a young doctor on an airplane where I spend a lot of time and uh, learned that he believed he had the absolute truth about every doctrine. He spoke with disdain about other Christians not in his faith group. What a contrast this is to Jesus' last prayer for us. In his high priestly prayer for us, he prayed that we would be one. And that by being one, the world would know that he, that the world would believe that uh, he had sent us. So what was his first, his last concern before he died? It was unity, that we'd be one. Why? Because it would confirm to the rest of the world that he was indeed the one who was from God. So we need to ask ourselves whether this is our goal to work together with our brothers and sisters and love them who along with us hold to the basic tenets of faith according to the ancient creeds. This is one of the blessings of ICMDA. We believe there are certain essentials we need to be Jesus followers, but there are many areas of scripture where Christians differ and we should not judge others for that. I like to use uh, and base things on what St. Augustine said uh, our attitude should be, which is in essentials, unity. There's certain things we have to believe to be Jesus followers, but in non-essentials, those uh, discussed areas, liberty, and in all things, charity. Give people the benefit of the doubt. They may be doing the best they can to follow the Lord. And as we grow in knowledge, we need to grow in obedience. Just as there's no value in seeing a healthcare professional have head knowledge and not practice their skills, we can't be Jesus followers if we don't follow him and become more like him as we obey. As we grow in knowledge, show competence, encourage and mentor others, show integrity and godly character, we'll gain respect of many people even if they don't particularly agree with us. We'll also glorify God. 
The strong foundation that we set will continue to become stronger as we continue to practice these things, not only during training, but for the rest of our lives. Let's now talk briefly about what I like to call formation, or the period during which we're moving from our basic professional training in medical school to being fully trained and competent in whatever special field God's called us into and we're going to practice. Formation, like foundation, is a biblical concept. God talks in Genesis about forming us, the first, forming the first humans, and God is involved in forming our bodies and minds in the womb. He intends that each of us have specific talents, skills, and gifts uh, which help us to do what he has for us in our lives. And just as God has a role in our initial formation and development in the womb, he continues throughout our lives to form us into different uh, experiences, practices, and skills. It's his desire, especially that we be formed into the image of Christ. During our initial period of training, we begin not only to be formed, but to be reformed. We begin to shift our identity and our, our uh, self-image from a lay person to a physician or a healthcare professional. In the past, we would have never anticipated people coming to us, uh, first time we meeting them, uh, giving us details of their personal lives, undressing and letting us touch them. But now it's becoming part of our new normal. The goal of our training is to become healthcare professionals with competence and maturity in our chosen field. So it was with Jesus' disciples. We read when Jesus called them together, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure all diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. That is to teach, preach, and heal. Now that's our mission as healthcare professionals. Jesus trained disciples to go out and practice what he taught them. And the purpose of our training after graduation is to finish forming us into specialists who can practice alone uh, and be uh, knowledgeable in our field, be skilled and be mature. And this requires us to take more responsibility for patients than as students. For many of us, this is an even more stressful time than initial training. We experience the fatigue of long hours and increasing responsibility. In addition to the other demands of our personal life, if you're married or you have an outside uh, responsibility of some type, and even more, at least for me, it was the fear of not knowing what to do or making mistakes, especially in times of emergency. You know, one night you're a medical student and the next day you're a doctor. Nothing magic happens that night. So this is not an unreasonable fear. We're still quite inexperienced. For me, it was a time I had to make a commitment every day to persevere just to get through the day. I knew I had to complete my internship in order to get licensed, and I was frequently fatigued, fearful, and felt down. I didn't have any days off. I knew few people in the community where I lived, and I coped with this by praying regularly throughout the day. I also carried a small booklet of God's promises in the pocket of my white coat. And when I felt particularly bad, I'd go to a quiet place and read a few promises, pray, and uh, spend a little time with God. Even small things can mean a lot in times like that. One of my senior residents who was a Jesus follower stopped me one day to tell me I was doing a good job. How often do we get this type of affirmation from our, our peers and our uh, superiors? It's just a great encouragement. Another Jesus follower uh, gave me a small uh, card that had Psalm 27, 13 through 14, which reads, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. This may not seem like much, but I meditated on these verses many times during stressful periods and remember them still today, over 40 years later. The fatigue and stress of this time leads many of us to feelings of depression, loneliness, and inadequacy. For some, it also leads to isolation, substance abuse, escape through obsessive behaviors, such as pornography, sub, uh, fantasy, and video game addiction, obsessive shopping, serial relationships, sexual immorality, and even despair and suicide. We need to be aware of these risks 
recognize them when they come, cling to God who is forming us, get help, and find love, solace, and support in community. After all, we're not meant to be alone. God the three-in-one has never been alone except for that mysterious period when Jesus was separated from the Father on the cross. God's always with us. His spirit's the one who comes alongside to comfort and to guide. We're part of one body with Jesus as our head. We need each other. In such times, we need to keep participating in our CMDA groups, spending time with our small groups and prayer partners, being encouraged by them and encouraging others. We need to be on the lookout for those who are not doing well and help them. By the end of this stage of life of formation, we should have made the transition from a layperson to a fully trained professional who's competent in their field. We should be increasingly like our leader, Jesus, and be ready to be productive in our practices. And as we enter practice as fully trained professionals, we should be prepared spiritually to deal with whatever we will encounter if we've not neglected the spiritual disciplines we've discussed. And we should expect things will not always go smoothly, but be confident the Lord is with us and will help us in times of trials. Healing's not just about medication, surgery, and technical skills. It must attend not only to the mind and body, but to the spirit. We must be people who are sensitive to patients. Even during the business of clinical practice, we must treat them compassionately. That's how Jesus did it. We should be taking spiritual histories and reaching out to help patients with the spiritual needs they reveal to us. We should be giving an indication that we believe in God and are open to sharing what we believe and pray with them if they desire. Our professional environment's not particularly conducive to spiritual conversations and biblical principles. However, Jesus commanded us to let our light shine wherever we are and whenever we are. Whether intentional or not, we also teach by what we do. As the saying goes, a lot more is caught than taught. People observe us, the way we care for patients, relate to colleagues, spend our time and money, and care for our family, all teach others. The lessons they learn from us either attract them and cause them to wonder why we're different from others or can repel them. Medically, it's an opportunity to be faithful stewards of what we've learned, to set an example for those to follow and mentor them, to serve in various ways on committees, boards, mission trips, and to publish and speak at conferences or webinars. Being a faithful steward and maintaining competence means that we keep on, we keep up on changes in our field and participate in long-term learning. All the status, wealth, and power we gain through our professional training and experience can be used to glorify God or to become arrogant and selfishly pursue our own desires. During the practice years, most of us are better able to generously give our time and treasure. The busyness of practice, however, means that we have to make a deliberate choice to set aside time to make activities such as these part of our schedule and budget. If we live long enough, the time will come, the time I'm in, which is for finishing. At some point, we'll cut back on our clinical practices or even retire from it. However, retirement doesn't seem to be a biblical concept. With longevity today, many of us can expect to have many years after retirement in which we may be healthy and able to still serve and do many things. Not only is retirement not a biblical concept, but later life's not described as a time of luxury and self-indulgence in scripture. What the last period of our life is for is a time to complete the mission God gives us on earth. It's a time to finish the race. Paul's concern was to complete the work God had assigned to him, to complete his mission, to finish the race of following his Lord through his earthly life before leaving and meeting his Lord face to face in heaven. And he was willing to give his life to do it. Indeed, he saw his mission as the very reason for his life. So the latter stages of our lives should center around finishing well and completing the tasks God has equipped us for. Scripture, especially the Old Testament historical books, speak of a lot of people who started well, but they didn't end well. So we need to be beware. 
These are people who got distracted by the things of the world and took their eyes off the goal and their Lord. May the Lord protect us from such an end. So what is the final stage, the end of our practice careers all about? This is the time we're more free than ever to use our gifts, our expertise, our experience, our interests, our resources and time to focus not only on patients, but on the next generation. Of course, we still may be able to work part-time or use our gifts to care for the poor, for example, but it can be a time to develop relationships with students and younger colleagues to mentor them or host them in your home. It can be a time to write up lessons you've learned, to share with others or to speak to Christian groups. How many of us would have loved to have had an older mentor when we were training or even while we're practicing? This final stage of our lives is the time to leave a legacy. For many people, their idea of the legacy is to leave a plaque or a building with their name on it, or to be famous for something they did, or to leave the most money to their family. But a legacy can be a godly example, a godly life, a life during which we never give, give up seeking to be formed into the image of Christ and to grow in him. It can be a legacy of younger people we've taught or mentored carrying on the godly lives and competent and compassionate practice of medicine. It can be a legacy of answered prayer for others and for the advance of God's kingdom. We can pray even when we can't do many other things. So let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Oops, sorry. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The race fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so you'll not grow weary and lose heart. That's important. We can get discouraged and lose heart over time, but we need to be renewed by God and by intimate fellowship with others and not lose heart and persevere to the end. So let us be people of faith, trust, obedience, and stewardship at all stages of our lives as Christian leaders. May we all at the end of our lives, when we come to faith, face to face with Jesus, hear what he said to the faithful servant in Matthew 25. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Let that be our, our way. Thank you. Here's some questions you can think about or we can discuss, but thank you for your time. Thank you, uh, Shari, for an excellent presentation and taking us through that four seasons of a doctor's life. Or uh, Thank you for that uh, overview of uh, that. We have the two journeys which are on which we are, the professional journey and the spiritual journey. And uh, it's not separate, it's very integrated. But one of the challenges we constantly hear is time. There is no time. You're know, so caught up in your studies or in your preparations or in your either in your foundations or formation time that there is no time. How do you manage time? What? How do you manage time in, that, in the midst of that busy foundation formation season? Well, that's why I think we have to set our non-negotiables early. You know, in medical school, we feel we're so busy, we don't have any time, but those of us who have gotten beyond there know that we only get busier, we don't get less busy. And um, we all have 24 hours in a day. And if we don't take time to spend with the Lord and others and be encouraged and grow, we have to realize that we're really failing in our mission. We can provide health care, but everyone's going to die, even if we uh, save them from some emergency. Ultimately, their biggest need is spiritual. And so for me, I uh, always had a certain time of day. I would do my devotions. Sometimes it got bumped like this morning because I'm, I'm sharing on the webinar. But, and I don't try to be legalistic about it. You know, if I'm sick or I'm just exhausted. Some days I do miss, but it's very important. It's like any relationship. Those of you who are married particularly know or have children, you know, if you don't spend time with each other, you grow apart. And uh, 
spending time with Jesus just has to be our top priority. You don't have to spend an hour every day during busy seasons. Sometimes I would only uh, read the Bible for maybe five minutes and pray for five minutes, but keep that uh, constant. And we can often use time, for instance, if we're driving or walking to work, we can be praying. Often when I'm out doing my exercise walk, I just ask the Lord to speak to me or I pray. So there are times like that. And none of us studies every minute. You know, we can't study every minute. So we have to choose. We do need some recreation. We need to exercise, um, you know, watch a TV program, read a book. But we shouldn't make those priorities over our spiritual lives. Thank you. Non-negotiables and uh, manage time efficiently and create your own spiritual disciplines, but not don't be legalistic about it. Thank you. Right. Uh, one of the persons, uh, one question is about uh, the crossroads. In this journey, we all have choices. So the person has asked, what do, what do you do when we are at crossroads on choosing uh, a career decision and get over double-mindedness? and conforming with God's will? Well, there are many temptations and, you know, we do need to make a certain amount of money. If we have a family, we need to support ourselves or our families. So we have to consider, you know, will we be able to do that? But we know God owns everything. So he can, if he's calling us to something, he can support us. If he's calling you to be a missionary, for example, he, he can provide the people to provide the support for you. And uh, it can be an encouraging kind of faith time to go through that. I remember uh, once I was literally uh, trying to do, there used to be a book called Europe on $5 a day. And I had $150 to spend a month in Europe. And I remember how much it made me rely on the Lord and pray, how can I use this wisely? And even though it wasn't a lot of money, I did get through that way. So I think a lot of it is trusting God uh, if you're spending time with him regularly, ask him to purify your heart. You know, it does say our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So even as believers, we can be tempted to go to the prestigious specialty, the one that pays the most. But we need to examine our motives. Uh, getting counsel can help. I often would talk with uh, pastors or other uh, mature Christians, doctors or something like that during decision times and get advice. Uh, if it violates something in scripture, you know for sure it's not God, it's something God wants you to do. And um, I think we should trust God too, that he can redirect us. For, for example, I started in internal medicine after uh, medical school, but I hated it. And I thought, I can't imagine doing this for the rest of my life. And I had never really resigned from anything before, but I just felt that this was not God's will for me. And so after my internship, I left that residency and then later entered aerospace medicine, which I loved. It was like getting paid to do my hobby. So, you know, don't feel like if you make a decision and maybe you're a little off track, God can't redirect you to. It's not the end of the world. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, there's a question from uh, Dr. Yusuf Deng uh, from South Sudan. How can you balance your career, spirituality and family in your life as well as family life as family in your life as a Christian medical professional? Well, I may not be the best one to speak to that because I've never been married and I have no children. I did try to keep my family a priority, uh, my parents and my sisters and spend some of my vacation time with them. But uh, others may be able to speak better to it. But I think the main thing is uh, you need to have purposeful time with your family. If you're married, you need to have some time you set aside as a non-negotiable where you spend time with your spouse, have a weekly date or something like that. Uh, spend some time together before you go to bed praying and discussing the time of the day. Uh, have morning devotions with your children and your family if, if possible, uh, depending on your schedule think there are a lot of practical things like that that are part of the day and don't necessarily take more time. But just like our relationship with God, your relationship with your family is critical and God expects us to give it attention. And uh, that's why there are so many divorces in healthcare, because people get so involved in their practice. They don't spend the time they need with their family. So it's always a, a matter of choosing and uh, balancing. We can never if we go too far in either direction, we won't do well. 
uh, very important to balance your profession, your personal spiritual life, and your family and that close relationships. And uh, there is a question on how can we overcome pornography? Uh, it may not be related to this, but if you have any thoughts, please. Well, it's an addiction like anything else. And unfortunately, once you see something, you can never unsee it. But you, uh, the best way, I think, is to be in a group with others who are struggling with that or with someone who you can be accountable to. That uh, I used to have uh, accountability partners. I find them hard to find. A lot of people don't want to be accountable, I guess. But I don't see accountability as uh, something painful. It shouldn't be legalistic. But you should be able to ask a person you're close to, share your, your need and ask them if they'd be willing to ask you certain questions every week. You know, did you spend any time looking at pornography this week? What attracted you to it? Why is it hard to stop and pray together? Uh, get people to pray for you too. I know it's hard to share that kind of thing, but it's so, it's just so uh, prevalent now. There are huge numbers, I'm sure. Others you know that are also dealing with it and Building each other up, encouraging each other, holding each other accountable is important and asking God for help. Ultimately, it seems like with most addictions, people don't do well unless they follow God. Even the 12-step programs uh, for alcoholism and things are based on having a higher power. Well, a higher power that's not God probably can't do much for you, but Jesus can help you overcome anything. And it is a, it may be a trial your whole life. We have to fight evil throughout our career. But if you do have any of those problems, please uh, get help and encourage others who struggle with it. God will help you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, very important you know, to be open and vulnerable at the same time, be accountable to a person who journeys with you or a community who journeys with you in the journey of and treat it as any other addiction. Uh, Kenneth Chan from uh, Indonesian medic uh, from Indonesia medical student is asking that about his uh, sharing about his struggles. Uh, he's currently doing his clinical rotation. I struggle a lot with my spiritual disciplines during this period of my education. I cannot imagine the challenges facing residency. I like to have all my activities blocked out of uh, of my planner and found that the unpredictability of the schedule during my clinical rotation is what makes it's very difficult for me. I feel I'm gradually shifting, drifting further and further away. Can you give some advice? Well, one thing you might do, I mentioned how I used to carry a little booklet of God's promises around. Carry a little uh, New Testament, or if you have a very small Bible. Uh, most of us have some breaks during our day. I mean, I used to just, even when I'd go in the ladies' room to use the restroom, sometimes I'd read a few promises. Uh, God knows when you're really stressed. But uh, just try to fit it in where you can. Don't be legalistic, but uh, you know, do try to read a little. You can pray as you're walking around the hall. You can pray for your patients, uh, you know, without speaking. Uh, you can keep close that way. And if you have a Christian medical group or you know other Christians in your uh, hospital or your medical school or wherever you are, uh, try to uh, spend a few minutes with them. Maybe have lunch together or something if you can and encourage each other. I, I think uh, it's a dangerous thing we see in our world where a lot of people say, I'm spiritual, but I don't need to be part of a church. We all know what happens to a cell of the body if we take it out of the body. And we should remember that, you know, if we're not part of the body, uh, we're going to suffer and uh, we may die. Our spiritual life may die off. So those are the things I would say. Just take what time you have. Don't feel you have to do a certain amount of minutes every day. Days you have a time to relax, enjoy time with God, just thinking and praying, thanking him for things, praying, uh, reading of the word, uh, reading a Christian book. I think, I think that's very important to recognize that different seasons calls for different disciplines. Uh, and depending on the season and the time and the various other responsibilities, be flexible in your disciplines. And not right. you talked about legalist being legalistic, not be legalistic that if I don't do this, I'm you know I have failed. So uh, be more flexible and take things lightly. Yeah, the disciplines aren't uh, just to be a square filler; they're to be a joy and a help. 
uh, discipline has the word for disciple within it. So they're things that help us to be good disciples. And God knows our struggles. So if we don't get to do it someday, he doesn't get mad at us. If um, we sin, we do need to ask forgiveness. But other than that, he loves us, whether we get to spend a lot of time or, or a little time. Yeah. And yeah, God is a God who journeys with us in, in our business and challenges. That's a great one of the joys of uh, my stage of life is uh, having more time to spend in the word because I don't have to be in clinic early or, you know, I can set my own hours now. So there's some real joys as you get further along in life, uh, not only to use your time in so-called retirement to serve and speak and things, but just to spend more time with the Lord and others. Yeah. One of the questions is how do you prepare for different seasons? in advance, especially the uh, season of uh, uh, completion or what, uh, what are the word you use? The ending or the, the last season of uh, the, how do you prepare for different finishing. finishing, how to finish. Yeah. Yes. Well, I think, you know, it's clinically known that a lot of people when they retire from whatever their job has been, especially men, a lot die fairly soon after. And that shouldn't be the case, you know, I think for the people that's the case, it's often because their whole identity is wrapped up in what they do and in their practice rather than in who they are. You know, we're human beings. We're people who should be in God. And, uh, you know, our self-image should be wrapped up in him and in serving him and our fellowship with others. And uh, keeping that in mind helps, I think. Uh, I think it's also important, you know, to think about what your special gifts are and how God can use you. I know when I first retired, uh, I used to be, uh, I spent about 26 years in the Air Force. And when I retired, it was unexpected. It was a time they were cutting positions. And so I wasn't really prepared. And I went through a clinical depression because, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I just felt uh, lost, I guess you'd say. And I prayed, I got medical help, you know, I got spiritual help. and. Uh, you know, over time, I was able to find roles like the one I have now uh, overseeing teams, medical education teams that have just rejuvenated me. But uh, get help from others, you know, talk to your pastors, talk to peers, uh, pray. And if you're clinically depressed, get help. You know, there's nothing wrong with taking antidepressants. I've been on them for, I don't know, probably 30 years now. And uh, just, you know, I've been on a pretty even even keel. So, you know, a lot of Christians think you shouldn't get depressed and you shouldn't take uh, medicine or see, see psychiatrists or, or counselors if you are. But uh, that's why people commit suicide. They don't get help. Don't be uh, don't be too proud to get help. God can use the psychiatrist, the uh, psychiatric drugs, uh, just like He can use cancer treatments or or other drugs. Thank you for being so open and uh, about your life and thing. I think it's very important for us to listen to that because many times we find think that being depressed and being a doctor is not spiritual. So I think it is. And yeah, also, and there's studies that show a, a very high number, a high percentage of medical students are clinically depressed. You know, our schools uh, often have services for that, but a lot of people just don't want to admit it you know, or get help. They're afraid others won't uh, think highly of them. But by getting help, we might encourage somebody who needs to get help to get help too. And also the highlighting the importance of identity, where our identity lies, our identity as a pro uh, professional versus our identity as uh, uh, a child of God. And, uh, Amen. Thank you. There's a question in the chat box regarding from uh, uh, Edna Oji. Um, regarding, um, I'll just read out that. What advice would you give a doctor in the middle of career after specialization, the early academic career, with a push towards further academic training, but has preference or balance with clinical work, clinical work? But institution has different goals or shifting goalposts. Um, could you just summarize that? I'm not sure I quite got it. Uh, the whole issue is he wants he or she wants a balanced life, wants to continue academics, but a balanced life, 
but uh, the institution has different expectations, different goals. How do you balance that? I think it's like everything. Um, if you just go through life, you won't meet goals. You know, there's a saying, if you don't have a target, you'll hit it every time. Uh, so you have to know what your goals are and you have to make conscious decisions. Uh, for some of us, it, it's good to write down a schedule, what we're going to do each day. Uh, for me, for example, uh, I do my devotions immediately when at all possible in the morning, because I find if I wait till later in the day, sometimes I get too busy or tired or I don't get as much out of it. So uh, set times, but be flexible with them. Make a you know, a plan, like if you're married, a lot of people have one, one night a week where they have dinner with their spouse and have a date, something like that. You might need to change what day it is different weeks. Uh, it can be very hard. I know a lot of you in medical school and residency uh, times, uh, postgraduate training, you want to get married, but it's very hard to have time to meet people. The best way to meet Christians is to be at churches, I think, and and Christian events at CMDA meetings. Uh, but it's about not only having goals, but making a plan to meet them and asking God to guide you and adjust your plan as you go along. And sometimes you'll you'll be able to accomplish it. If you miss something, you can reschedule it. Uh, everything's about flexibility and priorities, I think. Yeah, thank you. Flexibility and priorities and the non-negotiables. Uh, exactly which are the most important priorities knowing jesus being part of uh, worship in a church uh, being in some kind of a small group for encouragement and spending time daily with the lord yeah. uh, one of the things you shared was about compassion uh, and uh, also you hinted on arrogance and i, I, I want to ask this but how do you protect yourself from compassion fatigue constantly giving out. Yeah, it can be really difficult. My field, uh, you know, aerospace medicine, one reason I liked it was it emphasized keeping people healthy. So it was a very positive kind of thing. Uh, when you're in clinic day after day, you can get very fatigued. Uh, God can help you. I think it's the same things, you know, uh, asking God before you go in the room, uh, help me be compassionate with this patient, even though I'm tired, you know, help me to have the right words. Um, some of you who've done intense clinical practice may have better answers, but uh, getting away. I always try to do a personal retreat once a year, take three, three days or more, like a long weekend or more to just spend with God, pray about the coming year, uh, ask for guidance on where to put my priorities. Um, taking care of yourself, getting sleep is so important. I mean, depression can just be from sleep deprivation. I think that was a big part of it for me in residency and intern year. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have any, any magic answer, but the same things of staying close to God, staying close to others, encourage them and let them encourage you, share your burdens with them and with God. Memorizing some scriptures can help too, you know, scriptures about how God is a strong tower. Uh, we can run to him and we're safe, that he'll help us through all things, that he'll never leave us or forsake us. I've traveled a lot alone in pretty parts of the world that uh, most women don't travel alone. And, you know, if God weren't with me, I don't think I could do it. But it's been amazing even when something difficult comes up, I just pray and he'll help me. It doesn't mean nothing bad will ever happen, but relying on him, I think, is the key. He's the the most compassionate, merciful, gracious one. If any of you, like Santasha, if you have something to share on that, please do. You've done a lot more clinical, intense clinical probably than I have. Thank you. I think it's important uh, what you highlighted. It's important, the spiritual disciplines, the community, and falling back on the word. And uh, I think the importance of community in our journeys of tired, compassion, fatigue, all those are very important. Uh, I found many times the falling back on a group of friends whom I can openly share and talk about. I don't feel loving today. I don't feel like loving the patient. <laughs> and then, then they'll give you a put back in the right perspective. 
there's a question in the, uh, about uh, the are there any stages in life that in general we need to be aware that we'll be in a vulnerable position that we're vulnerable position well i think whenever you're really tired whenever you're really stressed those are vulnerable times those are times we need something to help us with stress and it can either be a positive choice like community with others uh having a meal with someone spending time with god uh talking to your uh spiritual leader your pastor your priest whatever uh or it's a time we'll try to escape with the kinds of things that trap us like drugs and alcohol i'm sure you all know that drugs and alcohol are a huge problem in healthcare professionals not only pornography but drugs and alcohol and uh i think video games have really become an addiction for a lot of people and may need help with those too there's nothing wrong with, with doing some of them but when they're taking over most of your free time we need help so yeah i don't think there's any any different answer thank you and there's just a comment from jimmy from uganda where they lost two christian medical doctors in uganda who were depressed but they did not care because they didn't have the insight i think the great battles among the christian medical workers is to accept and they're depressed and uh, especially colleagues which is hard to identify just a comment that is important uh, again highlighting what you said that uh, there is uh, there are many who are struggling with depression in our community in our fraternity or uh, support them and early identify yeah we had uh, during covid uh, there was a a young program director here who was well known who was a strong believer and she committed suicide and everybody was so shocked and of course it affected all those in her program and all, all her friends and uh you know if only someone had realized you know we need to look out for each other too we need to be our brother's keeper and if we see somebody struggling don't just ignore it ask them you know ask them are you how are you feeling uh have you thought about killing yourself it's it's shown you know that it's better to ask that's not going to cause them to think of killing themselves but Uh, if they are you can get them to help and save their life thank you i think uh, we are coming to the end of our time together thank you uh, shari for that excellent uh, presentation and and responding to the many questions uh, thank you all for joining